Hey, my name is Cass, and welcome to Real Life Christian Motherhood. Today I'm going to read you the story of my second child's birth, which took place in 2018. Hope you like it. My second and last C-section. At 5 a.m., we arrive at the hospital and toddle wide-eyed into the fancy emergency room to check in. Ian is carrying his massive duffel bag full of clothes we will need for the next three days, and I've got my green backpack with orange deer printed on it. We look like little kids showing up to an institutional indoor summer camp. The nurses who have been there all night and who get off at 7 a.m., though none of them leave earlier than 8, are calm and matter-of-fact. I'm handed a gown and some huge chemical wipes that could sanitize the skin of Satan. Wipe your whole body with these wipes and twice around where your incision will be. Done with the wipes, I lie down awkwardly in a bed designed for sick people, though I'm not sick, just here to get a baby out of my body. As with all things surrounding pregnancy and babies, I feel comically out of place, an actor in someone else's life story. A sweet-natured nurse makes small talk with me about her life as she shaves the hair off the pending incision area. This is awkward, but judging from the fact that my huge belly has hidden everything below my navel from sight for months, it's probably a good idea that she's doing it and not me. She calls it my quote-unquote spa time. The anesthesiologist comes in to make friends with me. These are a funny group of medical professionals. They are creepily caring. They come at you like they really want you to like them. This is normal everywhere else except for a medical setting. Maybe the anesthesia people recognize that they are the linchpin, the hostage negotiators, the middlemen between the doctor and patient. And also, there's probably a lesser chance of me suing them when something goes wrong if I first perceive them as friends. Well played, guys. Well played. I get through making my new friend of the anesthesiologist, and the OB comes in. She is late due to a scheduling faux pas, but because of this, she informs me, she inadvertently got seven hours of sleep and feels great. This person is about to use sharp objects to make an access hole in my abdomen so she can lift a fragile, slippery baby out of it. I'm glad I had to wait for her to get her seven hours. I'm sitting on the operating table with my gown open in the back to make sure everyone behind me can see my butt crack. Pretend you're bending over your baby like a cat. The thin nurse with the quick manner tells me. This will feel very cold, says my friend the anesthesiologist. He wipes something absolutely freezing across my back. Holy shisa, I inform him, almost yelling. You'll probably feel like there is warm water running over your legs. Let's lay you down before you can't move your legs anymore. I feel the warm phantom water flow down the lower half of my body. But he is wrong. I can still move my legs a little bit towards the feet, even after a few minutes of being waist deep in the invisible hot tub. I push away the troubling feeling this brings me. After a few minutes of watching masked people and scrubs buzz around me, I suddenly realize that I am in a horrific internal panic. The tidal wave of it engulfs me, and I don't even know where it came from. Some warped logic inside me thinks rolling off the table will make the panic go away. So I figure this is a good time to tell the anesthesiologist what I'm experiencing. Your blood pressure is dropping, he says. I sense a tone in his voice that tells me he probably should have noticed this before I had to say something about it. But because we are friends, I forgive him. Let me put something in the IV to raise your blood pressure. The urge to leap out of my body lasts only one eternal minute longer, and I start to feel normal again. Many people, all dressed in the same color of scrubs, have now materialized in the room, including Ian, who is the only one not in blue on account of the white painter suit they gave him so he could view the surgery. The OB comes in, wearing what looks like a clear plastic riot mask to block any fluids that might erupt from my womb high enough to get into her eyes. This is a sensible bunch, these doctors. She pinches somewhere below my belly button and asks if I can feel that. Nope. What about here? She asks. I can feel that. This has the effect of freezing time and space in the operating room. Is it sharp or dull? It's somewhere in between. I can feel the OB thinking. I can feel the anesthesiologist who is standing at my head tensing. 
I know their decision before they say it. It's not enough to turn back and redo the anesthesia. She begins to cut. My friend at my head suddenly says, let's have a birthday. This is so hope-filled and charming and effective in reminding me why we are doing this surgery in the first place, to give my little son a birthday, that I forgive him ahead of time for the pain I'm sure I will feel pretty soon. At some point, I remember Ian trying to talk to me and be positive and ask me how I'm doing. In my delirium, I ask him to stop talking and to let me hold his hand. Throughout the surgery, I squeeze his hand progressively harder and harder. This small bit of touch carries me through the very hardest parts of the procedure. They pull the baby out, and I hear him begin to cry. With my first C-section, as well as this one, this is a truly holy moment. I think this precise moment is why anyone signs themselves up to be an OB or midwife. Lungs that were ironically formed in fluid and have never breathed before are now inflating. Vocal cords that have never been heard before ever are now chiming. The experience of crying is new for the baby as well. The baby knows only water and warm and listening. Suddenly, there is a sensation of dry and cold and voice, his or her own very own voice. And this is what we call birth. And as with my first baby, for reasons unknown to me, I refuse to cry even though the amazingness of a new life coming into the room chokes me up completely. I attribute this to profound pride and feel ashamed. Pride is merely a shield thrown around the most fearful parts of our hearts. Fear of being humbled or overwhelmed or broken with beauty. I hear the nurses laugh as the boy starts peeing, spraying urine on them two or three times in a minute. They are happy with the joy of the new boy and his hilarious projectile pee. It now feels as though my entire midsection is an open cavern that the OB is excavating out in its entirety, like a Thanksgiving turkey getting its cooked stuffing removed. It is painful, probably more painful than it should be, because I'm using much of my mental strength to cope with it. I knew eerily, even before the surgery, that there would be something like this, something slightly wrong with the anesthesia. Ian told me later that some morphine had made its way into the IV at this point. I think of William Wallace in the unfortunate way he died, with his insides being excavated as well, but with different motives and dull tools and no morphine. Someone has pushed the top of my gown away and set down the now-diapered baby on my chest. This would be considered abnormal everywhere else except in a medical setting. It's amazing what you let people do when you are heavily drugged up and on the business end of a surgeon's scalpel. This person grabs my breast and guides the nipple right into the baby's mouth. The little chap knows exactly what to do and immediately starts to take on milk. The OB finally finishes the mining operation she is conducting on my insides. At some point, she says, This is a great placenta you've got. Look how round it is. Hey, everyone, check out this placenta. One of the nurses holds it up like a prize from a carnival game. Ian stands up to look at it over the surgery drape and asks if I want to see it. No, I do not want to see one of my organs, even if it was a temporary one. I imagine them asking William Wallace the same thing about his intestines. Turns out I have no deep need to see a placenta. Sorry, guys. I'm here for the baby and the voice. If you like these episodes, you can follow me on Spotify, leave a review, or hop over to my newsletter, The Sanitarium, and sign up for the written version of these podcasts to be sent right to your inbox. Cheers and thanks for listening.